in the series called Spiritual Dejection. Each week I'll probably remind you what I mean by this. Spiritual dejection, it's those experiences in life that just kind of jolt us, they hit us, they leave us dispirited, maybe discouraged, knock the wind out of us, spiritually speaking. And I think those are frequent enough in most of our lives that it's good to be prepared to allow God to kind of speak to us in advance so that when these things come, we can handle them in a more balanced fashion. So here's our subject for today. It's one that um, I, I feel thrilled to finally talk on something that I am an expert in, a lifelong expert. <laughs> I feel like such a fool. Now, these are experiences that, you know, sooner or later, most of us uh, have occur in our life. Uh, some of them are really funny. Like I remember a situation where in my first uh, church, a little Baptist church I had, I was doing one of my first weddings, and it was small. It was in a home, and so the wedding ended, and then they just took us upstairs to kind of have refreshments and all like that. And they put me in the front of the line, you know, to get the food and everything like that. So I'm looking, and I'm scanning, and, and the first thing I'm looking for is, is some kind of, you know, silverware, uh, plastic wear, any kind of wear, you know, and I don't see anything. So I'm like, well, in Rome, do as the Romans, you know. So I go through the line, and I'm grabbing things with my hands. I, I kid you not. I mean, I was nervous as could be, but I thought, okay, maybe they're just real down-to-earth people, you know. I'm, I'm filling my plate with handheld stuff. And no sooner did I get through the line and I turn around, I see everybody behind me, they have found plasticware. Everybody had plasticware except the barbarian pastor who... <laughs> And that thought went through my head. I feel like such a fool. Now, I could stand here and bore you for days and perhaps years with stories that I have felt like such a fool. But the truth is, they're not all so funny. Uh, the truth is, uh, many of them have been amongst the most uh, extraordinarily painful, jolting, dispiriting uh, experiences in my life. Now, what I'll say is this, what, what God in his grace taught me and is teaching me is to learn from these experiences, to, to, to grow from them, not to, you know, internalize myself in endless uh, self-punishment or shame, which doesn't help me or anybody else that gets near me, but, but to learn, to grow, to uh, move past those. And I hope perhaps he'll do that for some of us even this morning. Now, here's the second part of this. Let's look at and learn from the life and legacy of a fool. Uh, we're, we're going to get a close-up examination of what Scripture calls a fool. Now, I don't want to be offensive, but I have been a fool. I have had multiple stages of being a fool. Perhaps you have, and you're comfortable with acknowledging that. Perhaps you have, and you don't know it. In which case, a, a, a loving, gentle God who wants what's best, knows what's best, wants to speak to us today, wants to kind of hold a great big mirror up in front of us today. How many of you have one of those 7 to 10 uh, times magnifying mirrors? Can, can I see your hands? Yeah. You, you know, you need that thing, guys, particularly as you, we get older, man. You, we get hair growing out of our ears and things and all kinds of strange places. You need that 7 times magnifying mirror. But I believe that this morning... The Lord in loving gentleness wants to, together, you know, we're, we're going to experience this together, hold a mirror up so we can get a better picture of ourselves at this stage in our life, but it's for our good, it's to help us advance, it's to help us to grow. Uh, 
All right, we're going to go back in the Old Testament. We started last week with an Old Testament passage where we looked at the first king of Israel, a guy named King Saul. We saw that he didn't do very well with what God had entrusted him with. And part of what he started to do once he learned that God had rejected him as king was he tried to kill the man that God had chosen to be his king, which was King David. We're going to pick up in that portion of Scripture where it's been about three to four years now that King Saul has relentlessly tried to kill the future king, David. But, but in the midst of that, uh, we're going to meet two people that, uh, that give us this lesson about being a fool or what a fool looks like. So here we go, 1 Samuel chapter 25, and, and I had to kind of scan through this passage very uh, loosely because it's a lot of material even as it is. There was a man of the clan of Caleb named Nabal, who was from the town of Maon, who owned land near the town of Carmel. He was, very, he was a very rich man, the owner of 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. That's not a good thing. Am I back? I'm back. I was gone, but I'm back. <laughs> His wife, Abigail, was beautiful and intelligent, but he was a mean, bad-tempered man. You don't want to go down in God's record book as being described as a mean, bad-tempered human being. That's not the way you want to be remembered. That, that's not the legacy that you want, that I want, that Amos want. It goes on. Who is this fellow David? Now, let me give you the context here. David and his men, he had about 400 soldiers gathering around him. Now, they had been protecting Nabal's flocks uh, for, for probably over a year. It was sheep shearing time. He was going to, you know, kind of enjoy his profits. But David and his men had been stopping marauding bandits from robbing the sheep, protecting them from animals and things like that. And so what they did was they simply came. David sent his men and said, Nabal, you know, can, can you give us something? Because these guys were living off the land. They just looked for a little bit of help since they had helped him for, you know, over a year probably. Who is this fellow? So here's Nabal's response to David's men. Who is this fellow, David? Nabal sneered to the young man. Now, mind you, Nabal knew who David was. Everybody in Israel knew who David was because David killed who? You tell me. Goliath. And he was famous for that. Also, the word was out that he was the chosen king to be in Israel. But he's acting like he doesn't know him. He says, he sneered to the young man, who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take of my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shearers and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail, that's his wife, and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes, which was the start of Fig Newtons. She packed them. <laughs> she, she packed them. And by the way, you might see that there was something to those, those fig cakes, I think. She packed them uh, on donkeys. When Abigail saw David, so now this is, she sends this offering to David and his men because that's all they wanted was just a little bit of food to sustain themselves. 
So now she's racing to get to David because the word is out. David and his men are angry at this. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Think of the descriptive terms we've heard of this guy so far. Mean, bad-tempered. Now he's, his own wife is saying, I know Nabal is a wicked. So he's, he's stone evil and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a what? Fool, just as his name suggests. We'll talk more about that. But I never even saw the young men you sent. And when the Lord has done, so this is Abigail still talking about, when the Lord has done all the good things he has promised you and has made you what? King of Israel. Now, mind you, Saul is trying to kill him. He's on the run. He's been on the run for three to four years, but Abigail is attuned with God and she knows that God will indeed see to it that David will have his destiny fulfilled. When he has made you king of Israel, then you will not have to feel regret or remorse, sir, for having killed without cause or for having taken your own revenge. And when the Lord has blessed you, sir, please do not what? Don't forget those fig cakes. (laughs) Don't forget them. David said to her, praise the Lord for the God of Israel who sent you today to meet me. In the morning when Nabal was sober, now mind you, he and his sheep shearers were celebrating big, big profitable enterprise. He gets drunk that evening in his celebration. In the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. As a result, he had a stroke and he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he died I I think that when he heard the news from his wife that he was this close to death he was in a drunken stupor the night before and David and his men were coming to to take his life as well as the life of all the males in his in his service in his employment and when he heard this and when he heard how his wife had to run to rescue him I think he had one of those moments where I feel like such a fool but I think for him, it was a much bigger, I feel like, such a fool. It's like I say, some of the such a fool moments are kind of fun and cute, and we use them as stories to entertain other people. But some of them, man, they cut right to the core. We're all alone in that place where it's just us and life, and we feel boxed in, and we feel alone, and we're like, I can't believe it. I don't even know how I got here. I don't know why I did this. I don't know how to untangle this. I feel like such a complete fool. What a mess, what a mess I have. And when he had that simultaneously, I think the, I'm just, this is theoretical, I think that the jolt emotionally literally gave this guy a a physical stroke. We are spirit, soul, and body. They all interact on one another. He's in a comatose state, evidently still able to think. God gave him at least 10 more days to contemplate who he had become and what his future would be if he stayed that person. And then the Lord takes his life his journey ended so that's the background of our story now I want to start on on a a path for us now the rest of this message let's start with this reflect on the life of a fool Nabal was an individual that kind of portrays for us uh, all the scripture talks about when it says that an individual is a fool or foolish behavior the Bible talks a large amount you're going to see it in a minute about Uh, what a fool is like the attributes of a fool God holds that big 7 to 10 magnifying mirror out before all of us 
So let's start on that journey. Psalm 14.1. The number one characteristic of a fool, as God de depicts a fool, not me, as God, the fool says in his heart, there is no what? There's no God. They are corrupt. Notice the, the cause and effect. When, once you say no God, then there's the corruption that inevitably comes. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. So the first depiction, the, the first aspect of being a fool is the fool says, all things considered, I don't want there to be a God, and I'm going to convince myself there is no God. Now, this is irrational because everything either came from nothing for no reason or everything came from an intelligent, personal first cause who created with great purpose and planning. And we know by observation that you don't find anything complex unless somebody with great purpose and planning and intelligence has planned it and developed it. And so when you look at the, the creation itself, creation screams at, our, at, at us as human beings that there is a creator who with great purpose and planning created everything. But when a person finally says, you know, all things considered, man, I want to be the captain of my own destiny. I want to rid my conscience of any restraints. I'm going to convince myself. I'm going to live my life like God does not exist. And that is the beginning. I'm going to make up a word. Of fooldom. Fooldom. <laughs> we enter onto the path of fooldom once we block out God from our life and from our perspective uh, I meet more and more people these days and it's no wonder or marvel because our, our society sort of uh, affirms this message that that God maybe doesn't exist or if he does exist he's inconsequential you can worship him or a can of tomato soup or you can worship you know Buddha or you can worship you know you know Allah it doesn't matter what you it's your choice it's just if you feel like you need to worship something worship something so our society reinforces the message around the clock that if God is there at all, he really doesn't matter, and so it doesn't affect your life. But last week I said something in the message that I want to reiterate. I said this. I said that every human being that's ever lived and every human being that ever will live, we are worshipers. We worship something or someone. We may not know what we're worshiping, but we are worshiping. And whatever we're worshiping, that is going to deeply affect the direction that our life goes in, the path that we take, as well as the development of our character. What we worship affects who we are and the quality of our life more than anything else. Let me unpack a little bit further. What do I mean by worship? Worship is that which we orient our lives supremely around. It's what matters to us the most. It's what we, we receive our sense of significance from, our sense of security from, our satisfaction from. It could be a person, place, or a thing. But we all worship. Now, here's the bottom line, though. If we worship things that are deficient, things that are not worthy of us, we will deteriorate. We will become less and less fully human and less and less fully alive. We will become uglier and uglier creatures instead of more beautiful and more beautiful creatures unless we worship the one that is worthy of worship, which is the true God as he's revealed himself in Scripture. The Scripture reveals God in kind of these, these blanket statements sometimes in a couple of places. It says that God is spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, meaning that our minds and his minds must find, you know, a connection point that we like him we admire him we like the way he thinks we like the way he feels it, it says that God is spirited then it says that God is light this is very important because without light we cannot see 
Uh, I'll, I'll develop that in a bit more. Then it says, the third thing about God, it says God is love. And his love is different than our love. His love is this, this totally unselfish devotion to the, the very highest well-being and happiness of those that he creates in his image. We want happiness, we pursue happiness, but we don't really understand what brings happiness because we don't know the way we're put together. We don't know the way we're designed. God is our designer, therefore he is the only one that can direct us into true, lasting happiness. Now here's the problem with the fool. The fool says there is no God, so the fool is walking through life in this condition. The fool is sense-governed. If I can't see it, taste it, touch it, feel it, hear it, I'm not sure it exists. But we in the modern world, we know there's all kinds of very significant, important things that are totally invisible. We just came through a pandemic. The virus was invisible, but obviously it was very powerful. This room is full of radio waves. We can't see them, but we know they exist. With just the right machinery, we can tune them in. But the fool excluding God is now bound in a, in a sense-governed existence. If the fool can't see it, taste it, touch it, feel it, hear it, they act as though it, it doesn't exist or at least it doesn't matter. The fool is time-bound. The fool knows that I once was not here and there will be a time when I will not be here again. I, I'm, I'm living in an uncertain period of time. <clears throat> I have today, I have this moment, I'm not sure I have anything else. Because they are time-bound, they're driven by the fear of death. It's not like the fool goes around thinking about their death all the time, but the fool lives with an urgency. I've got to get it all now. I've got to get it while I can because I don't know when this journey is going to end. I need to seize everything that appears to bring happiness or pleasure while I can get my hands on it because I'm driven by the fear of death. Got to get my bucket list all filled out. So this fear of death produces supreme devotion to two things. Many of you have heard me teach this for years and years. I become governed by my drive for self-preservation. I'm alive and I want to stay alive as long as I can. And second to that is self-gratification. Some things give me pleasure. Some things give me pain. I want as much pleasure as I can get, as little pain as I can get. And these are the two things that drive the very lives of most human beings. Even those that will say they believe in God, if they don't have an experiential relationship with the God they say they believe in, they're still driven by the same thing. And they're living in darkness. This kind of existence produces a darkened perspective on life. The person doesn't know how much they don't know, but they live in a fool's paradise. The old saying, ignorance is bliss. They can become confident, they can become cocky, they can become self-assured, and yet they're walking around in utter stupidity and blindness because they don't know how much they don't know. Unless we go to the source, the creator, we don't know how much we don't know. Now, we've all had this experience, uh, more or less, where, I don't know, you're sound asleep and you hear a noise in the house. And so now you're going to get up, you know, you're, you're, you're going to check it out. You're going to see what it is. You're hoping it's nothing, but you're checking it out. But it's total dark in your house. And if you live where I live, I mean, dark is dark. You can't see a thing unless you have some hall lights on or something like that. So you're, you're moving through the house. Now, if it were daylight, you could walk through the house with great agility and, you know, nothing's going to bother you. But it's dark now. So you're not walking with great agility. You're, you're, you're kind of hesitant. You're walking around. And then all of a sudden, an explosion of pain goes off in your mind. And you know it's your toe. It's your big toe. It has made collision with something, perhaps the foot of a table or something like that. And, uh, and you realize there, was, there were realities in, follow me now, I'm going somewhere. There were realities in this room 
that have now caused me pain. They have affected me, but I couldn't see them. They were real. They were there. They were important, but I couldn't see them. And so I lived in a fool's paradise, and I walked through the houses, though they didn't exist. This is the context of a fool. Now, sometimes you don't just hit your toe. Sometimes if you're in my house, you, you trip over a dog toy, and, and you may fall nicely and catch yourself with your hands or you may crack your head on something the fool doesn't know how much they don't know they walk through life blindly because they reject the source of light the source of what is true what is real about life they live in a fool's paradise thinking they're safe and they're not safe at all and the fool has cycles of these falls these collisions usually they become increasingly bad because they walk in the dark Listen to what Jesus says about a fool. This man, Jesus was talking, he was telling people, you know, don't, don't get caught up in greed because your life doesn't consist in the stuff that you have. And one of the men in the crowd said, hey, cause my brother or make my brother divide the, the wealth up with me, the, uh, the inheritance. And then Jesus gives this answer. And he tells this parable. He tells this story about this guy that was rich, kind of like Nabal. Nabal didn't know that he only had 10 days to live. He thought he had forever. The fool lives as though they're in control of their next brainwave, their next heartbeat, their next breath, but none of us are. Jesus says, but God said to him, to this man who was wealthy and thought he was going to live on forever, if you read the parable in Luke 12, he said, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is, this is God talking, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a, you read it to me, what does it say? You can't read that and not pause and each of us ask ourselves, do I really have a rich relationship with God? I, I mean, what does that look like? What, what, what does a rich relationship with God look like? A, a rich relationship with God is one in which I am in contact, I am in more or less constant contact with God every day, everything that I do all the time unless I'm asleep. He, he is the centerpiece of my life. His presence is, is, a, is a governing reality. I seek him in his word. I seek him in his people. I seek him by serving him. I, I, I'm always trying to interact with him. He is the center, the joyful, the pleasurable center of my life. He, he's the one that I'm richly related to. It, it's not just a once in a while thing or a once a week thing even. So it's a good place to pause because it's Jesus who loves us more than we can love our, ourselves who says we're a fool we're a here's the big mirror the big seven magnifying ten magnifying mirror saying to me to you to all of us we're fools unless we have a rich relationship with God we can't have a rich relationship with God unless we're willing to modify our priorities and our schedules and put some time into it relationships take time you know that we all know that so Nabal lived as though he were going to live forever he had no idea that he he had 10 days it was ticking down he had no idea I, I'm not trying to be morose I'm not trying to be gloomy but what if each of us we knew we have 10 days left to live would we feel good about that would, would we feel comfortable with that w would we feel the need to maybe make some <clears throat> significant adjustments in our life in our relationships more importantly with, with God or maybe we wouldn't at all 
And if we wouldn't at all, that might be healthy, that might be good, or it might mean that we're, we're fools. Because the thing about being a fool is the fool is characterized by unawareness. I'll develop that in a bit. Let me go on to another passage of Scripture. Proverbs 26, 11, it says, As a dog returns to its vomit, I know that's a gross image. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool does what? Repeats his foolishness. Meaning, the fool does not learn by their mistakes. The fool just continues to do the same things regardless of the pain that has caused them or caused others around them. They just keep doing the same foolish, hurtful, damaging, destructive things. Nabal said he was mean-spirited and a wicked and a vile man. Says that, that, he, that he screamed at people. You know, he, he was just harsh and abrasive and difficult. I'm just curious, how, how many know people like that? They're just evil, they're mean, they're abrasive, they're nasty to interact with. How many know some people like that? Don't, don't stare at them if you're sitting by them. Don't, just just kind of give a quick glance. <laughs> they don't learn. The fool does not learn. Are we learning from our mistakes so that we don't repeat the mistakes? Let's go on. Proverbs 18, it says, Fools have no desire to what? They don't want to learn. They're living in bliss. Ignorance is bliss. They live in a fool's paradise. They don't want to know how much they don't want to know because they know that if they start to know what they don't know, they may have to consider changing, and they don't want to change. Instead, they would rather just give their own opinion. Now, I'm going to show you something that you wouldn't detect as you read Scripture, and the Scripture has a ton to say about fools, but when you get a little deeper into the study of it, you're going to find that there's literally five different types of fools the Scripture points out. Let me, let me lay this out for you. There's what Scripture calls the, the simple fool. Now, the way we know this thing is, is these are Hebrew words that describe a fool in, in the Old Testament. The, the one is a simple fool. It's just a person that they're kind of new to life and they're experimenting and they, they just don't know that certain things are going to bring consequences instead of results. We all have gone through those stages. Maybe you're still going through that stage. Then there's the silly fool. The silly fool, they've learned that certain things bring consequences, but they don't care. They're just stubborn. They're, they're, it might happen to other people, but it's not going to happen to me. How many of you have ever been through that? You know, yeah, oh, other people might get in trouble. Other people might go to jail. Other people might get, you know, uh, they might overd, they might do, but not me. I, I'll make it. I'm indestructible. How many have ever, ever been through the indestructible stage? I'm here to confess to you. I have. Okay, that, that's kind of the silly fool. Then there's the sensual fool. They're pleasure-driven. The sensual fool has made some pleasure, usually sexual, the center of their life now, and they are bound to it. And no matter what God says about the way that sex is supposed to be handled between a marriage with a biological man and a biological woman, they, they say, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm going to handle sex the way I want. I'm going to handle pleasure. They, they become driven, addicted by some pleasure so that they don't learn. They repeat the same mistakes again and again. Then there's the scorning fool. This is the person that's now disdainful. This is the cocky fool, the arrogant fool, the argumentative fool. This is, this is the person that, you know, they're cynical and they're skeptical and they're in your face type of fool. And then there's the last. And there's, I should have told you, there's a progression in this. There's a progression downward. Uh, th these are types of being a fool that get worse and worse and worse and the last stage the steadfast fool notice what the hebrew word is nabal nabal now this is really 
a jolting consideration. This man who is the center of our passage, it is, that is his name, Nabal. Remember his wife said when she's talking to David, she says he, he's even like what his name is. Now, now this, this is provocative. Did, did this man's, did his parents name him? <laughs> no. and, and, and they named him the worst kind of fool. The, the, the incorrigible fool, the fool that there's next to no chance of getting this person to examine their existence and change their course. They're, they're the steadfast fool. They're the incorrigible. They're, they're the fool that are almost beyond reach. They're cocky. They're arrogant. They're mean-spirited. They're vile. They're vulgar. And they don't care anymore. And they're cocky about it. They're, they're in your face about it. Why would his parents, if, if that's the way this worked out, why would you name a child that? Did they know something? <laughs> or were they too Nabals? Were, were they too this type of an individual? And they were proud of it, and they wanted to raise their son as another defiant, I'm captain of my own destiny, in your face if you don't like it type. We, we make a lot of our heroes today. We have a lot of anti-heroes. Heroes in the old days, you know, they, they were the good guys. Heroes today are like anti-heroes. Many times they're, they're terrible, horrible human beings. But there's something tough and, you know, something interesting about their character. And we make them, them heroes today. And then we wonder why, you know, sometimes kids take the wrong paths, uh, you know, and pick the wrong models. At any rate... Here's the different types of fool. Now, here again, let's, let's, let's let the Lord put that big seven times magnifying mirror or ten times magnifying mirror up in front of us and say, Lord, am, am I in this list? And if I am, why? And if I am, how do I change or do I want to change? So here's five different kind of fools, and they're all progressive. And the last one is, of course, the very worst of all. Now, I want, I want to very quickly expand our list, our magnifying mirror examination of ourselves uh, to see if there's any aspects, traits, uh, characteristics of a fool in us that we might not be aware of that a loving God wants us to be aware of. Here we go, really quickly. These are all from Proverbs. Proverbs 10, 18. A fool is characterized by a spreader of slander, likes to, likes to tell bad things about other people that are not even necessarily accurate or true. The fool, 10, Proverbs 10, 23, they enjoy evil. We all know people like that. They love evil. They, oh, they laugh about it. They think it's just wonderful evil, you know. They always want to have a dirty, vile spin on everything they talk about. The fool is easily angered, easily upset. They're thin-skinned. They, 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 they get angry quick. The fool has uncontrolled speech, unfiltered speech. Ever meet those people? I just tell it like it is. I may not be perfect, but I just tell it like it is. I shoot straight from the shoulder. Well, you just need to learn self-control and stop being a fool, you know? Because speech should be cultivated and carefully shared in love, the Bible says. Speak the truth in love. But they, they just, uncontrolled speech, they just say whatever they want. They bring hurt to others. Fools bring difficulty, complex, harsh situation, hurt to others. Look at what was happening to Abigail and to all of Nabal's employees. They were about to be killed. 
because of his stupidity, because he was a fool, because he couldn't shut his big mouth. He brought hurt on his family, on his household, on his business, on his employees. This is typical of fools. They hurt others. Their words cause them trouble. Their big mouths get them into trouble. The, the fool is characterized by popping off and then being embroiled in all these complex arguments and so forth. Their words can cause trouble. They're unconcerned about sin. When they hear the word sin, they're like, sin, pin, who cares, man? I do what I want to do, and I don't, I don't care about sin. What is that, a bunch of rules some supposed deity just made up to box us in and steal our fun? They're unteachable. They are not interested in receiving feedback, in receiving truth. A good time to pause. Are we eager to receive feedback, to receive truth? about ourselves even when it's something that we may not want to hear they're uninterested in wisdom they start arguments they answer before listening and I bet you we all got people like that they, they cut you off they don't even hear what you're trying to say or what you're trying to ask and they already are giving an answer profane speech fools are characterized by vulgarity and profanity please hear me on this don't think that using profanity is a cool way to express your angst or your anger or how hip you are or how cool you are it is disgusting in the sight of God every language has profanity Jesus says that we speak our, what comes out of our mouths is the abundance or overflow of our hearts if you call yourself Christian follower of Jesus and you're still having profanity flow out of your mouth God the Holy Spirit is holding the mirror up today and saying you don't have to do this you, you can learn to use other words to express your emotions the fool is characterized by profane speech they're quarrelsome and argumentative they repeat the same mistakes over and over and here's the last but the biggest what does it say can you read it I know it's kind of small they trust in themselves instead of trusting in their creator instead of trusting in God the one that is infinite they who are finite and imperfect they trust supremely in themselves there I, I just I just got this gut feeling I just do what I just do what I feel I just follow my heart uh, you know that, that's the way they think and they're proud of it they're arrogant about it they're cocky about it they're they're very complacently pleased with themselves even though they're finite even though they're fallible even though they've experienced consequence after consequence and brought trouble on other people they trust in themselves when themselves is the last person they rationally should ever trust in i want to tell you i came to that point in my life i came to a point in my life where i realized i didn't know what i was doing and that i was pursuing things that were causing not only trouble to me but great hurt to other people and that was part of my awakening awakening I'm going to share a statement with you misinvesting our lives produces increasing spiritual what is the word desensitization the more I misinvest my life instead of making God the center of my life building a rich relationship with him I make something or someone else the center of my life I, I become desensitized I don't know what's happening to me I don't know that I'm a fool I don't know that I'm walking in a dark room and, and not facing or in touch with reality and I'm bumping into things all the time desensitization brings unawareness which results in becoming a fool Nabal was unaware he was unaware he was unaware what his wife thought about him he was unaware that she thought he was a vile man and a fool he was unaware what his servants thought about him if you read the passage his servant said nobody can talk to this guy nobody can talk does any wouldn't it be horrible to hear that people say about you or about me 
you can't talk to that guy just forget it don't, eat, don't even try he's impossible she's impossible to talk to he was unaware that when he was partying in a drunken stupor he was unaware that soldiers were preparing to come and kill him take his life that night end his life end the life of his male servants in his compound as well he was completely unaware he thought he was in control of his life he thought he was going to live as long as he wanted to live he was unaware that he was going to hear bad news have a stroke and then in 10 days die he he thought he was the master of his own destiny we tend to think i'm telling you i i know we can't live with this fragile scared feeling that i could die any second of course not we're not supposed to live that way but we're also not supposed to live with this cocky attitude that our life is under our control my next brain wave i'm well aware it's a gift from god my next heartbeat my next breath my next hour my next 24 hours my next week it is a gift it is a divine entrustment and so is yours but the fool the fool doesn't see it that way they they don't they're unaware and this results in the life of a fool now before we go to this next part I want to share something with you uh, a movie that I kind of liked it was a movie from 1990 called Awakenings how many are familiar with the movie it had Robin Williams and Robert De Niro in it and it's based on a true story uh, the story takes place in the 1960s a doctor named Oliver Sacks he comes to this hospital where there's these patients that have been there from like the 1930s in a comatose state some of them 10 20 years even nearly 30 years in a comatose state there was a sleeping sickness of some sort that went around in the 1920s and these patients were all this hospital true story so dr oliver sachs he starts experimenting with these patients giving them l-dopa and as he's giving them l-dopa some of these patients that had just been comatose in a stupor you know like frozen paralyzed for 20 and even 30 years they started becoming conscious and the wild thing was their memory picked up right at when they got the sleeping disease and so the world had changed dramatically and you know they're trying to catch up with all this changed around them and so in this movie uh, these people that had been in darkness let's say for 10 20 years they're suddenly awakened and they're able to to see the truth about themselves and see the truth about life once again and to change now the sad part is the l-dopa only worked for a short period of time and they all went back in to their comatose state but I'm sharing that movie with you for one single reason and only you can know this it is a loving God a God who revealed himself in Christ a God who went to a cross to convince you and convince me nobody is going to love you the way I love you I literally loved you to death I know you I love you I've watched every second of your life I, I want w what is best for you, you you're pursuing happiness but you, you're experimenting and, and you're looking in a lot of wrong places and, and I'm here to, to try to get your attention and awaken you I want to I awaken you today because I love you but you've got a lot of attributes in your life of a fool and you'll never get rid of those attributes unless you see them own them and forsake them and I want to help you I want to help you do that today I, I, I want this to be the day that you leave the path of living like a fool and awaken to a whole different quality of life
I love you. I got to take the risk, says the Lord, of, of holding that mirror up and, and allowing you to feel uncomfortable for a little while so that you can feel good forever. We reverse that in our world. We, we give people comfort immediately and we forsake them to destruction forever. We, we tell people whatever they want to hear. We, we affirm them in letting them do whatever they want to do. We make them feel good for a little while and destroy them forever. God does it just the reverse. He's willing to make us feel uncomfortable for a little while so that he can make us feel really safely, eternally good forever. Only you can know if the Spirit of God is here right now today and he's made you aware of aspects in your life that are indicative that you are a fool. But he's doing that because he loves you. And some of you, you've been asleep for 10 and 20 and 30 years and you've become complacent and comfortable. You might even have a facade of spirituality about you. But if you're open to the light of God today and the spirit of God today, you'll know who you are and you'll know that he's trying to call you out of darkness into true light to live in touch with reality and he wants to awaken he wants to awaken some of us today. All right, we've reflected on the qualities, attributes of a fool. Now, now let's remember that a fool has got a legacy. When you live or I live like a fool, there's cause and there's effect. There's results and there's consequences. There's a legacy that is inevitable for one that lives and dies as a fool. We see it with Nabal. So let's remember the legacy of a fool. Proverbs 3, 35, it says, The wise shall inherit glory. It's talking about the future time when God will dwell with humans again. But what will be the legacy of a fool? Shame. Now, I'm not going to ask you. I'll just give you my story. I can look back in my life and the times when I knowingly or unknowingly departed from God's will, God's word, I experienced sooner or later shame and I want to tell you something about shame shame is not like guilt shame is a heck of a lot harder to shake uh, shame is that thing that will keep you going back to God again and again saying you know I know your word says if we confess our sins you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness 1 John 1 9 but shame says don't you believe that <laughs> you're horrible you're, you're, you're different you're, don't you think that your sin is forgivable shame will choke you to death God in guilt will try to awaken us so that we can change shame will take you down but shame is an inevitability if I live like a fool I'm going to produce a life that is full of increasing shame in me around me and that's just an inevitability it's, it's cause and effect it's something we can't avoid let's go on again Proverbs 13 20 it says the one who walks with wise will become wise but a companion of fools will what suffer harm now now, now mind you Nabal was in trouble but he brought trouble on his wife on his family on all of his employees the, those that get close to fools in other words if I'm a fool and you get close to me you get involved with me you're, you're going to get hurt too if you're a fool everybody that interacts with you is likely to receive damage because you are a fool or I'm a fool and, and so this doesn't stay isolated it's not like oh I'm not hurting anybody but myself um, that's a nice thought it just happens not to be true in reality let's look at another Proverbs 11 it says 
the one who brings ruin on his household. Nabal was bringing ruin on his household, on his family, will inherit the wind. And a fool, which is what Nabal's name meant and what he epitomized, will be a slave to someone whose heart is wise. The wise person will self-govern. The fool will end up being incarcerated in most cases or enslaved by someone else that has the ability to control themselves better than the fool does. Proverbs 17 says this, and this is where we'll get ready to close out. It says, it's painful to be the parent of a fool. There's no joy for the father of a rebel. Now, I want to take this passage, and, and I want you to look through the, the obvious to what's behind it. We, we all have had fathers or we couldn't exist. We may not have known our father. We may not relate well to our father, but we've all had fathers. But we have a father, a father of our hearts, a father of our souls, a father of our spirit. We, we, <laughs> I don't care what your vision is of a father. I don't care how horrible your father was. I didn't even know my father. I, fi I finally found out who my father was when I was 70 years old and I could have cared less. Um, it's a long story I can't tell you tonight but, um, but regardless of what your or my image of a father is that is no excuse to think that I can't see God as a perfect father you have the ability I have the ability every human has the ability to use these God given imaginations of ours and we can picture a really good father we sing a song about a good, you're a good good father a perfect father and this passage is giving us a view into the father's heart <laughs> And he's saying, when I'm a fool, and you're a fool, and I think and you think we're not hurting anybody but ourselves, it's just not true. We're, we're not only hurting ourselves, we're not only hurting others, we're hurting his heart. He's grieving for us, but he knows that, that he can't reach all of us. Some of us are Nabals. We're incorrigible. We're steadfast fools. We're, we're never going to change. There's no plea that he can make. There's no sacrifice that he can give. There's no reasoning that he can take us through that will change us are you changeable today if you know that God has pointed out in some way there's aspects of a fool attributes of a fool in your life my life are, are you reachable today are you teachable today am I reachable am I teachable are you willing to change am I willing to change because God can't help us unless we are How many of you are familiar with the term circadian cycles? See your, see your hands. Circadian cycles. It, it, it's the sleep cycle. You know, we're kind of on a 24-hour cycle. We, we have to sleep about eight hours. And yet most of us today, uh, we have trouble with sleep. And so some of the reasons I suspect that we have trouble with sleep is because we're messing with the circadian cycle, knowingly or unknowingly. For example, uh, I'll bet you some of you have window or room darkening shades or curtains how many have window or room darkening shades or curtains? okay so so normally your circadian cycle my circadian cycle it sounds like a like a canadian rhythm band or something circadian uh, so so the way it's supposed to work is light light is supposed to awaken us but we block out the light so that we can stay in a dark sleep we, we, we block out the light because some of us have sleep problems. Um, I always see that Relaxium commercial with Huckabee. How, how many know the commercial I'm talking about? Where he's, um, you know, trying to sell Relaxium. 
and Relaxium is supposed to be this wonderful thing and he's got his little dogs in his lap, him and his wife and it's really winsome and, and it's all good and it makes me think, man, I think I need to buy some Relaxium because anything I see on TV, I can't help it. I, I'm, prone, I'm prone to buy it. It's embarrassing, but it's true. And so the only thing that stops me from getting the Relaxium is he sends us and here's the founder of Relaxium and when they show this doctor, he looks like a mafia hitman. I mean, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Not going there with you, my man. No relaxium for me, you know. So, so God, this morning, he's bringing light. He's showing us the truth about life, truth about himself, truth about ourselves. And he's showing us light to awaken us. But we have the ability to put those room darkening curtains across our souls across our minds and blocking out the light to our to our destruction to the breaking of his heart you got a moment you know it you can sense it you can feel it you know the spirit of God is is trying to draw us into a different place here's the questions I want to leave with you if there are any foolish tendencies in you would you want to know some of us don't want to know question two would you be willing to ask the Lord to make you aware of any foolish tendencies that's a big step will you just be willing to do that last one is harder would you be willing to allow people who know you to tell you about the foolish tendencies they see in you. We all have blind spots. We all need people that love us enough to tell us the truth about ourselves. But we have to be those that make it easy for them to tell that truth. It's not very easy. It's not very comfortable. But it's very necessary because we all have blind spots, all of us. My eyes look out. I can see you very easily. I can't see myself very well. Even when I try to see myself in a mirror, I'm just seeing a flat image. Same is true of you. We need help. We need others that we let speak into our life and give us feedback. I, I suspect regular feedback. So, as we close now, and your heart is tender, and your mind, at least for this moment, is thinking differently, will you act? Will you take action on it? Will you welcome the light of God? Will you welcome the feedback of others? Will, will you start seeking at least to find out from the Lord if there are areas in your life that are, that are just keeping you from being the human being that he wants you to be, the beautiful human being that he wants you to be, the, the productive human being that he wants you to be, the human being that's a blessing to everybody whose paths you come across. You've got a moment. It all starts with decisions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment. And we thank you for the tenderness of your ways. We especially thank you for the truth of your word, which is light and a mirror and the help that we so need. May your spirit have his way in each of our hearts, each of our lives. May no one in this room be ever tagged a fool or have the legacy of a fool. It's in Christ's name I pray for these things. Amen.